Well, good morning, church family. I hope you're doing well this morning, the very first Sunday in June. And it's hard to believe that it's already June. Where is 2020 going? And before we jump into this sermon here in Matthew chapter seven, first, I wanna say thank you to Charlie and to the rest of the worship team. Guys, thank you so much uh, for leading us in song and worship and for everyone else who's participated this morning in our worship service. Um, I've got just uh, one house, housekeeping announcement to make. Many have been asking, when are we gonna be able to come back to Woodbine and do on-campus live worship? And I wish I had a specific date to say, you know what, it's gonna be this date but I don't. And I wish I could, and sorry about that. I wanna thank you so much for your patience. But one of the things that we've been saying is that we're data-driven, not date-driven. And just with the opening up of Nashville and just working alongside the local authorities and the government, and just as the pandemic hopefully continues to recede, but we'll see, uh, we just gotta see how things are going just with the spread of the virus and stuff. And so right now, hopefully sometime in mid to late June is when we'll be able to join together here at the Church at Woodbine to be able to worship together live. So anyway, I just wanted to say that a lot more information will be coming out in our e-connect, our newsletter, emails, but we will let you know when we will gather back together here at the Church at Woodbine for worship and for praise. But I do wanna thank you so much for your faithful, just your, your praying for us, your commitment first to the Lord Jesus, to one another, to the mission and vision of who we are as a church. Thank you. We love you guys. We're praying for you guys. And we can't wait one day soon to gather again in this building to worship our King, to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. I wanna invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse seven. And for those who are visiting us for the first time, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's what Jesus' biggest, greatest sermon he ever preached. It's Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And it's right at the beginning of his ministry. He just started to choose the, his 12 apostles. He was traveling all around the Sea of Galilee, uh, preaching and teaching and healing. And it said the multitudes followed him. So he climbed up a mountain, sat down and began to teach. And Matthew chapter five, six, and seven is what we've been going through. There's been so many things we've looked at. And here in chapter seven, we're kind of, kind of coming to the close. We just got a couple more weeks left here in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we read this passage and look at this passage, I have just a quick story I want to share with you. Years ago, when my wife and I and our kids, when we were missionaries in Mexico, as missionaries, we would have to raise our financial support. And we did it through churches, friends, family, we would ask them, hey, we've got to raise this amount of money every single year to live there. And would you join our team and support us financially? And for, for 20 years on the field, almost 20 years on the field, God was amazing in how he worked in our friends and our family members and even churches who supported us, giving thousands and thousands of dollars. And we never, ever lacked, ever. But there were some years when we didn't make our budget. And a couple of times it was a significant amount of money, tens of thousands of dollars. We wouldn't make our budget. So we'd have to do a whole lot of cuts just on how we used our money. And I've got a, we have a handful of friends who support us unbelievably. And one year when we were way down and the year ended and we kind of told out all of our supporters, I had two friends of mine, they called me up and they were livid that I didn't say anything to them about how much we were lacking. And, and these guys, they've got lots of money. They're very generous. And they were so mad at me. And they're like, Doug, you need to let us know because we want to support and we want to give you. We have the means to give and we want to, but we can't help if we don't know. And today we're gonna to be looking at something that Jesus says. It's a promise about prayer. It's right here in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse seven. Look at what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. 
For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father in, he- in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is a great passage here. And many of people know this verse, verse seven, ask and you'll find, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. And Jesus is talking about prayer. And all throughout scripture, we, hear, I mean, we know that we should pray as Christians, but all throughout scripture, prayer is one of the significant themes. Pray, pray, pray. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Paul also says, I continually pray with joy. Paul says in Philippians four, he says in everything with prayer. Jesus himself, the night that he was handed over to suffering and to death on the cross, he went out to the garden of Gethsemane and he invited his apostles to pray with him. And he found them asleep. And he says, could you not watch and pray for one hour? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we see all throughout scripture, Moses, David, Esther, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, the apostles, the early church in the book of Acts, they were constantly praying night, all night vigils. They are praying corporately together, individually. We see in the book of Psalms, the importance of prayer, of worship and praise, thanksgiving, intercession, which is praying for others, supplication, which is praying for yourself, confession of sin, lament and grief. There's so many different ways that we could pray. And as Christians, a lot of time we know, yeah, we should pray. We need to pray. And my question for you and for me is, how much do you pray? How much do I pray? If you had to describe your prayer life, what would it be like? And these words here from Jesus where he says, you know, if you ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. And these words here of Jesus should give us incredible encouragement where he encourages us, seek and you'll find, ask and it'll be given to you. And then he goes on, he uses this amazing example. He's like, you, you guys who are evil, Even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. If they ask for a piece of bread, you're not going to give them a stone. If they ask for, you know, if they ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a scorpion. And he goes, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more, say it, how much more will your heavenly father who knows what we need. And Jesus is connecting this chapter back to chapter six, where Jesus says, when he teaches on prayer and he teaches the Lord's prayer, he says, even before you ask, your heavenly father knows what you need. And then in chapter six, when he talks about, don't worry about your life and what you'll eat and drink. He says, your father knows what you need. But my question is sometimes my doubts come in this. Sometimes when I pray, it just feels like my prayers are going up to the ceiling and they're bouncing, ricocheting off. Sometimes prayer is dull, it's boring, it's dry. I don't see any point in it. I don't hear anything. And sometimes, to be honest, I feel like God's gone on vacation and he's not even listening. I've heard many people throughout my life say, well, man, why would God pay attention to me? He's got so many bigger, greater things in the universe to to deal with. Why would he even contend with me or even want to pay attention to me? But one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that we have a good heavenly father who loves us dearly and he sits down and he wants to draw us up into his arms and he longs for us to pray. You know, God is sovereign. He's all powerful. He's almighty. He can do anything and everything that he wants and he doesn't need us. 
but he has chosen and he wants us. He's chosen us. And in his economy of his kingdom, God has ordained prayer to be one of the greatest engines of how he works within humanity. God is inviting us to join him in his rule and in his reign. And he's chosen to respond by the prayers of his people. We see it all throughout scripture. We see Moses standing in the breach between God and the people of Israel where Moses pleads for their forgiveness. We see Jesus himself and we see the early church. We see them spending all night praying that Peter would be released from prison and he's miraculously released. And I know there's many times we pray for healing. We pray for salvation. We pray for protection and it doesn't happen. Where's God? And there are many times when our prayers go unanswered and there is no logical human explanation for why it happened or why it didn't happen. Now, Scripture does teach that many times we do not have because we do not ask. Scripture is very clear that if we do not remain in Jesus, and if his words do not remain in us, we will not receive what we ask. Many times we ask with wrong motives. Scripture is also clear that if we're holding sin in our hearts, that's an impediment for answered prayer. Scripture also teaches the lack of faith. But there's also times when there isn't an answer and we won't know until we get on the other side of death's door and we're walking in eternity when we see Jesus face to face that we'll go, ah, I get it. God's ways are not our ways. His way are as high as the heavens is to the earth compared to our ways. And at times it is a mystery. And I don't say that flippantly, but I will say this. God is not some genie in the lamp where we just rub the lamp and he comes out and he's like at your service and does anything and everything we want. God is not some magician where at the snap of his fingers or at the snap of our fingers, which many times we believe, he's at our beck and call. Prayer much of the time molds and shapes us and God uses it to conform us to his image and he touches and transforms our hearts and our will to his heart and to his will. Prayer is the heartbeat of our relationship with our heavenly father. So as we close this first part of this service, right, have this sermon right here, I want to encourage you. If your prayer life has been dry, dull, non-existent, I want to encourage you right now, to come back to the Father because we have a good, good Father. And I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We have a Father who loves us and he's inviting us back into his presence. If you're guarding sin in your heart, bitterness, resentment, hate, animosity, lust, anger and sinning and anger, critical judgments, confess that to the Lord, surrender it to him. Maybe you feel like a very dry sponge that needs to be soaked in water. Come to him and allow Holy Spirit to soak you with his presence. We can boldly enter our heavenly father's presence because of the blood of Jesus, because of who Jesus is. And he's calling us to live a life of prayer individually and corporately. So let's come to him now as we worship, as we pray to him. I invite you to stand now and pray with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace.
Father, give us a hunger and thirst for you and for your presence, for your, just for your word. And Father, may we truly be desperate, desperate for you, knowing that you're a good father. You know what we need. You know what we need and you'll give us good, good gifts for your glory. We thank you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Welcome back. And this is the second part of our message for today. And we're here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 14. And verses 7 through 11 talk a whole lot about prayer. And we truly need to be a people of prayer. There's a phrase we use all the time in Spanish. Mucho oración, mucho poder. Poco oración, poco poder. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. And Jesus has called us to be a people of prayer. We truly storm the gates of heaven with faith and humility, knowing not just expecting, but knowing, not just hoping, but knowing that our heavenly father will respond and will answer us. Here in verse 12 of chapter seven of Matthew, Jesus then says, he says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. You know, this is the golden rule here. And one of the things that we talked about as pastors this past week about this sermon here is we didn't want to land on verse 12 and make some niceties about the golden rule. Tons of religions have something very similar or almost the exact same of this golden rule. Do unto others as you'd want to be done unto you. I heard that all the time growing up. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you. My brothers and I would change it. and We would say do unto others as we want to do to them. But that's not how it works. But what does this mean when Jesus says, do unto others as you would want them to do the same to you? For this is the law and the prophets. A quick question. Who fulfilled the law and the prophets? Jesus did. He came to fulfill the law and prophets. And he talks a lot about that at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And this golden rule, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, it's based on the life and work, and ministry of Jesus. This golden rule is founded upon the love of the Father. And when we truly can do unto others as we'd want to have them do to us, it's having sympathy. It's having empathy. It's getting in their shoes. It's getting in their skin. It's being able to see them and experience what they're experiencing. And Jesus, he longs for us to truly see people, others, the way he sees them and to love them the way he loves them. And you know what? One of the greatest ways we can do that is through prayer. Because when we begin to pray for others, God gives us his heart for them. He gives us his perspective. He gives us his love. He gives us his passion and compassion for them. So Jesus lands right here. Do unto others the way you would want to be treated. How do you want to be treated? We all want to have, be given the benefit of the doubt. We want people to be patient with us, kind to us, forgiving. We want people to be generous to us. We want people to treat us kindly and with generosity and with goodness. That's how we want to be treated. And in the same way, because of the love of the Father, we should treat others that way. Jesus then shifts directions powerfully right here in verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. I'm going to read that again. The gate is wide and the, gate, and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road 
that leads to life and few find it. These are very strong words here. There are two ways. There's the broad and wide road and it leads to a gate that is very broad and many find it, but that road leads to destruction. And then there's a very narrow road and a very narrow gate. And back during the time of Jesus, the old city that we know of was surrounded by walls and there were several gates that you could get into the city. Some were big and wide, but others were very narrow and small and it was very hard to get in and you had to wait your turn to get in. So as Jesus' listeners hear him, they have images of what those cities and towns were like, especially Jerusalem. Narrow is the gate that leads to light to life and few find it. I don't know if you've ever stood in a river with the current going, but it, when you try to walk against the current, it's hard. I remember several years ago, my family and I, we were at a big water park in Mexico. And after spending all day going up and down all the steps and stuff, doing the water slides, I was exhausted. And so I decided to get into the lazy river and just sit on an inner tube and just let the current take me. It was awesome. But unfortunately, too many of us in this life, we let the current of this culture and the current of this world take us down and it leads to destruction. But God, Jesus is calling us to a different standard where we're called to stand up and walk against the current and culture of this world where we're supposed to stand up. He calls us and he tells us, shine your light before men and women so that when they see your good works, they will praise our heavenly father. We're to be salt and we're to be light. So my question for you is this, are you walking the narrow road? Are you going through that narrow gate or are you allowing the world and are you allowing all those around you just to take you down that current of this culture? In closing, there's a couple things I wanna end with here, just to end. The first one is this, and we talked a lot about at the beginning, prayer. I shared a story at the beginning that some of our supporters and who support us as we were, while we were missionaries in Mexico when they found out one year we were really low on our funds and we didn't say anything, they were upset because they longed and they wanted to support us because they loved us and they believed in us and what we were doing. But because we didn't come to them and tell them, they couldn't support us. We have a loving, awesome heavenly father who wants us to come boldly before his presence. And he calls us to be people of prayer. And he promises that when we seek, we'll find. When we knock, the door will be opened. When we ask, it will be given. So I challenge you today, what's your prayer life like? And I want to encourage you starting today to dedicate yourself to consistent, persistent prayer with our Heavenly Father. He longs to pour His Spirit into you over and over and over in an intimate relationship. The other one is this, and it's about the golden rule. Do you treat others the way you want to be treated? Do you speak to others, your wife, your husband, your kids, your neighbors, what about what's your Facebook or your Instagram or your Twitter like? How are you treating others on social media? Do you treat others the way you want to be treated? And then lastly, it's about going through the narrow gate, walking the narrow road. And I want to talk briefly just about all that's going on in our culture with the horrific, tragic death of George Floyd and then everything that we're seeing in our culture these days with the protest a lot of the violence, the vitriol that's being spewed out on public, on social media, there is so much anger and there's so much confusion and there's so much going on. Where do we begin? How do we respond as Christians and as brothers and sisters? What do we do? 
I read an article just the other day from a pastor in Minneapolis, and he shared a couple things. He said, the first thing we need to do is we need to pray and we need to repent. Repent. The Bible says that everyone who believes in Jesus is a priest. And the role of a priest is to speak to God on behalf of the people and to speak to the people on behalf of God. That was the role of the priest in the Old Testament, the priesthood of all believers. And I want to call all of us to prayer and fasting for our community, for our nation, for the world. Not are we going through the pandemic, but now we have all this social upheaval, this political upheaval, the chaos, the confusion, the anger, the resentment, the divisions. And we are called to be ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of reconciliation. And so I want to encourage you and me to truly pray and storm the gates of heaven for true Holy Spirit revival in this country and the world. The second thing is this, repent of our own racism, our own arrogance, our own pride, the golden rule. Do we truly treat others the way we want to be treated? What has your attitude been like as you've jumped on the news, as you've watched the news, as you've gotten on internet, as you've read articles, as you've talked with people? What is your attitude in regards to people who are not of the same culture or the same political affiliation? What's your attitude to those who don't agree with you? Is it full of anger, bitterness, pride, resentment, criticism? If I were to ask all of us a question, how many hours have you spent criticizing our country, our politicians, our people this week? How many hours? Now, how much time have you spent praying for them? So we need to pray. We need to repent. We also need to get informed and learn and grow and walk in the shoes and footsteps of those who are different than us. And then finally, we need to get involved. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of reconciliation, first and foremost with our heavenly father through Jesus Christ. And then ambassadors of reconciliation with one another, especially those who are different. We live in a dark, dark world that is hungering and thirsting for the love and forgiveness and reconciliation that only Jesus Christ can give. May we lift him up higher and higher, proclaiming him. So let's pray, repent, get informed, get involved. I want to invite the worship team to come back up as we close in worship and prayer. And right here, right now, I want to invite you to stand wherever you are if you can. Maybe you're in the car and you're just listening. But if you can stand up, there's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer that the Anglican Church uses. It's a prayer of confession. And it starts out, it says, Most merciful God, we confess to you that we have not loved you with our whole heart. And we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And we confess to you that we have not loved you with our whole heart by the things we've done and by the things we have not done. Many of us have sins of commission that we're very well aware of. But for some of us, we have sins of omission. It's the things we should be doing that we don't. We need to, to humble ourselves 
and truly bow the knee to Jesus, allowing him to be the captain of our souls.